This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Firefighters risked their lives to rescue a man from a burning building. But they were too late. The medical examiner found evidence that the victim suffered through more than the smoke and flames. They used to say the dead men tell no tales, but nowadays, dead men tell a lot. Around 5 o'clock in the morning on July 16, 1992, a motorist saw a house on fire in the residential area of Danville, Illinois. He ran to a nearby home for help. I opened the door, his eyes were huge, and he said, call 911. Within minutes, the fireman arrived. Neighbors assumed the homeowner was away. Someone had opened the garage door and his car was gone. So we, at that time, then thought, well, good, he's not home, but he's hopefully okay. He's just out for breakfast. We fought the fire, it was quite intense. Came back out on the porch and uh, then went back in again to, to do some overhaul and that's when we saw him. It was the owner, 68-year-old Charles Lynch, known as Jack to friends. Although badly burned, Lynch was identified through dental records. I wish no one would have to see anything like that. Someone that has been burned to that degree is um i don't know it's it's hard to it, it's hard for us to explain jack lynch was a lifelong bachelor with no children but he treated the neighborhood children like his own he was always there for me when i was a kid so it was like he was there for my generation and he was there for my kids when they were young he was just part of my family one year when my daughter graduated from eighth grade, I didn't have much money. He made sure that she got a dress for the uh, uh, graduation, which meant a lot to me and her. After the fire was extinguished, investigators looked for the cause. The fire started on the ground floor, but in three separate areas. It was ruled arson since fires don't start spontaneously in three different areas. They found drawers pulled open, mattresses overturned, and signs of disarray. But neighbors said Lynch was a fastidious man. Also troubling was the discovery of tiny bits of rope near Lynch's body. An indication he may have been bound. I don't think anybody was really guessing other than Something had apparently happened to him. He'd been tied up and then he'd been burnt in a fire. Since there were no signs of forced entry, it appeared that Lynch either knew his killer or had willingly let him inside. I can't see why anybody did it. But I hope and I pray to God that they find you before I do. You know, he, he put on quite a display. He acted emotionally upset and 
he kept demanding to be let in the house. He kept saying he wanted to see what uh, was missing. He wanted to see what had happened and things like that. He brought a lot of attention to himself right off the bat. This was Jack's neighbor, Ed Kramer, who was with Lynch the night before and was the last known person to see him alive. He'd gone over to Mr. Lynch's house and talked to him. Then he turned around and he'd, he claimed that he borrowed some money from Mr. Lynch and then he'd left and gone home. And he had had some criminal history past, uh, nothing real extensive at that time that I can recall. Kramer was immediately a suspect. Since the fire in Jack Lynch's home started in three separate locations at the same time, it didn't take fire investigators long to determine it was arson. The last known person to see Lynch alive was his neighbor, Ed Kramer. He didn't work anywhere. He had no real alibi to speak of, so Eddie was probably uh, one of the main people we were focusing on. But Kramer denied having anything to do with Lynch's death or the fire. When asked to take a polygraph test, Kramer agreed and passed. He was no longer considered a suspect. Police found Jack Lynch's car a few blocks away from his home in this housing project parking lot. Lynch's television set was in the back seat. Several other items were missing from Lynch's home, among them a VCR, a microwave oven, a video game unit, and a 357 Magnum handgun. Really sad. He, uh, he died for what? Uh, I believe the cash, uh, under, under $200 cash, a little over $100 cash. Even though Jack Lynch's body was badly burned, the autopsy told investigators how he died. Surprisingly, his lungs showed no signs of smoke inhalation. There was no smoke in his lungs. There was no soot in his mouth. Um, so he did not inhale anything from the fire. Meaning Jack Lynch was dead before the fire started. The medical examiner also discovered a number of stab wounds in the body. The throat wound was the largest. That was a gash, and it was done with tremendous force. That cut the jugular, uh, that cut his larynx, that was, that was almost cut his neck in half. The motive appeared to be robbery. Just two weeks earlier, there had been several robberies in the same neighborhood. Police wondered whether they were related. A video store and two nearby drugstores had been robbed at gunpoint. And this home on nearby Griffin Street had also been burglarized. All of the crimes and the lynch fire occurred within a half-mile radius. This meant, at least statistically, that the perpetrator lived or worked close by. Criminals are lazy, as are the rest of us. When we're shopping, when we're looking for goods or services, we tend to want to um, travel within a very close area around our home. Same th thing applies to criminals. I can remember several murders I worked in. Some of the people lived right across the street and watched us work the scene all day. 
Investigator Jack Smith had done some homework on these recent robberies and noticed two interesting coincidences. First, large numbers of prescription drugs were stolen during the drugstore burglaries. And secondly, living directly in between Jack Lynch's home and the location of the home robbery on Griffin Street was the home of Jamie and Robert Moore, two well-known drug dealers and addicts. The Moors were both addicted to prescription painkillers. No matter how much they had, it, it just wasn't enough to keep them going. They'd both been using for a while, and um, that was a big portion of their problem. It was a big business. Uh, the selling of scripts, uh, selling of uh, uh, the prescription medicines. On a hunch, Jack Smith recommended that in the event of another robbery in the neighborhood, that police consider Robert and Jamie Moore as possible suspects. They didn't have to wait long. Just hours after the fire, a man and a woman entered a nearby motel with handguns, took money from the front desk clerk, and fled in a van. The patrol officers responded to the Comfort Inn. Others responded directly to the Moore residence and just waited. The van drove up to the Moore's home, and Jamie Moore stepped out. The van pulled away, but the police stopped it just around the corner. The driver was Robert Moore. Inside the van was the money from the hotel robbery. Just before she was handcuffed, Jamie swallowed a large number of pills and had to be rushed to the hospital. And while she was, quote, being guarded, she attempted suicide in the bathroom through a broken light fixture. Police also found the 357 Magnum the Moors used in the hotel robbery. Could it be the same gun stolen from Jack Lynch's home? When police confiscated Robert and Jamie Moore's van, they found the cash stolen from the hotel robbery and a 357 Magnum pistol talking to Bob Moore, we told him, hey, I want to talk to you about that gun that was in the van. We go, yeah. And where did you get it? And his response was, I got it out of that house the other day when I killed that guy. And my partner and I both just about fell out of our chairs, you know, because there's no way it's ever that easy. In his tape confession, Robert Moore said he went to Jack Lynch's home to rob him. Once inside... He overpowered Lynch, tied him with rope, then ransacked the house. But Lynch got loose. Moore admitted he and Lynch fought, and that he stabbed Lynch to death. Moore said he stole what he could, then set fire to the house to cover up the murder. Moore insisted he committed the crime alone. And no one else was with you at any time when you did what you just talked about. No, no, no. Jamie, 
At the time of Robert Moore's confession, his wife Jamie was in the hospital recovering from her suicide attempt. When she was able to speak, she told police a different story than her husband's. Jamie claimed she knocked on Jack Lynch's door as a ruse so that her husband, hiding nearby, could get inside. Jamie said she had no idea how Jack Lynch died because when she left, she said Lynch was tied up on the sofa but was still alive. But the forensic evidence contradicted Jamie's story as well as Robert's. During Jack Lynch's autopsy, the medical examiner found 24 stab wounds. But she also discovered something else. They weren't all made with the same knife. The wounds had been made by two different knives. Both were approximately five inches long. One had a long, narrow blade. The other was wider. A killer seldom uses two different knives. Therefore, the medical examiner concluded there were two killers. It's more likely that uh, each of the two people that were there would have their own knife and were inflicting wounds on the victim individually. In Lynch's kitchen was a burnt and scorched knife holder. There were two large knives missing from that knife holder. With a search warrant, police discovered both of the missing knives in Robert and Jamie Moore's bedroom behind the couple's bed, covered with Jack Lynch's blood. The knives matched the wounds in Lynch's body in both size and shape. Unfortunately, there were no usable fingerprints on the knives, so there was no physical evidence against Jamie. Also in the Moore's home, police found dozens of empty prescription bottles, many from the pharmacy robberies. They also found the stolen goods from Lynch's home. The Moore's children were playing with Jack Lynch's video games. Obviously, this crime was out of their league. The, these people had not been involved in violent type of crimes. But they had been involved in the last week, 10 days, of a series of escalating violent crimes involving weapons. So anything was possible. But prosecutors believed the use of two knives to kill Lynch meant that Jamie was not just Robert's partner in crime, but also in murder. Prosecutors believe that Robert and Jamie Moore walked the two blocks to Jack Lynch's home. Jamie knocked on Lynch's door to gain entry. Robert was hiding in the bushes. And once the door was opened, Robert went inside. Together, they bound Lynch's hands and feet and looked for items to steal. At some point, Lynch got free, and the forensic evidence suggests that both stabbed Lynch repeatedly with two different knives, 24 times in all. 
They loaded the stolen items in Lynch's car, started the fire to cover the murder, but made the mistake of setting the fires in three different locations, a common sign of arson. They also left behind remnants of the rope used to restrain Lynch. The Moors later abandoned Lynch's car a few blocks away. I parked the car. The TV was through the car. I think if I could have heard on that eye, Kevin. Later that same day, still desperate for money, the couple robbed the Comfort Inn motel using the handgun stolen from Jack Lynch's home. Although police had two confessions, one from Robert Moore and the other from his wife, Jamie, they differed in many respects. But on the crucial question of who killed Jack Lynch, they were consistent. Robert insisted he alone killed Jack Lynch. The forensic evidence contradicts that. I think that was probably another part of his reasoning for wanting to take the blame himself so Jamie could be home with the kids while he went to the penitentiary. He knew there was going to be sufficient evidence to link him up to the murder. And I think he told a story that he could formulate best in his mind to keep his wife from going to jail. In exchange for dropping the murder charge, Jamie agreed to plead guilty to armed robbery and to testify against her husband. It's not an easy thing for a person to agree to testify against their spouse especially when that spouse might be looking at uh, a death penalty. But the night before she was to testify, she attempted suicide once again. I made the decision that I was not going to bring her into court and try to force testimony out of her. I had no clue what she might really say once she got on the witness stand. Although Jamie's suicide attempt prevented her from testifying against Robert Moore, one of Jack's close friends, Kim Arwen, did testify about the kind of man Jack Lynch was. And she got the chance to look the accused killer in the eye. He was in there when I was on the stand. And he just had this look on him like there was no remorse whatsoever, no kind of feeling and... As I walked off, I looked at him like, I hope he rotted in hell for what he did. Robert Moore never changed his story, claiming that he alone killed Jack Lynch. Moore was found guilty of murder, but he escaped the death penalty and was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole. The vote was 11 to 1 in favor of giving death but the one juror who stated he would not vote for death uh, as I understand it indicated that he thought that Bob if if he were given life in prison that Bob could perhaps be rehabilitated I honestly feel the Moors went in there with the intent to kill uh, Jack Lynch uh, it got out of hand and went from there but what made it the felony murder was because it involved home invasion robbery weapons and that made it uh, the murder case. He just ripped the hearts right out of us when they took his life. It was like pulling a piece of my life and my kids, my whole family. And I don't know if he realizes what he did, but he'll never replace 
or be able to justify to me why he did what he did, or her. For her part in these crimes, Jamie Moore was sentenced to 39 years in prison. The geographic profiling, the determination that the crimes were related because of their proximity to one another and to the Moore's home, helped solve the case. Even in this day and age of mobility, it, you don't see that many uh, people from out of town coming in and doing something and leave. Uh, it does happen from time to time, but the vast majority of crimes are committed by people that are pretty much to be your neighbors.